You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're going to head north today. and uh, <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, I am too, actually, because it's a familiar voice. Yeah. Um, but an organization we haven't talked with in a long, long time. So very excited about this. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. So today we're heading up north to talk with our friends at LAMP, and it might be a familiar voice. The Reverend Dr. Stephen Shave is executive director of LAMP, new executive director of LAMP. Uh, Dr. Shave, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. Well, thanks for having me back. So folks might recognize your voice from Mission Field USA and former director of church planting and uh, the city... um, mission here at the LCMS. And, uh, but the Lord has called you to serve at LAMP. Tell us about uh, LAMP. What is LAMP and the, the work that you're given to do there? Yeah, sure. There's a lot of parallels to church planting, multi-ethnic ministry, the work that I was doing before. And now it's a little bit more hands-on because LAMP truly does serve in their communities here in Northern Canada. Uh, it's interesting. Sarah will be happy to know that it was founded by a former Michigan person. Yes. Uh, <laughs> back in the 60s, Pastor Les Stalky, he was actually a church planter. Uh, he was sent into northern Alberta and to help pay for his mission work, he was also a bush pilot. And so doing his work, he would go to these remote villages as part of his job. And he just kept seeing more and more people uh, that he recognized as being sheep without a shepherd. And they were in these very remote locations. And he knew that it would take kind of a special mission to be able to bring the gospel to these people. So that's where the idea from LAMP came. And then once the Lutheran Women's Missionary League and some churches all came together, um, they were able to support his being a pilot, connecting that to the gospel. And so that's where LAMP uh, had its genesis, really, was that Les Stolke wanted to be a missionary to these people in these remote areas. And You know, the LCMS uh, hasn't always had that as a strength. Uh, Even back in the day, you know, Leah had tried again, uh, Sarah, in Michigan. Uh, (laughs) You know, when you think about Frankenmuth, that's really what it was. It was meant to be outreach uh, to the Native people in those communities, but um, didn't have a lot of success. And all through our church history in the LCMS, you know, in the early 1900s, um, there are a lot of attempts to do church planning and preaching stations and parochial schools and, and different ways. But, you know, even late into the 60s, they were still trying to even establish contact with uh, Native Americans. So uh, it hasn't been a strength, but we are happy to say that LAMP's been around for 50 years now of having the doors open to us by these local communities to bring them the gospel. So we're very happy uh, with our track record that we have and the mission that continues today. Tell us more about the native populations that LAMP serves in Canada. Um, You say that they're remote. Uh, For us, maybe uh, more used to urban locations in the U.S., how remote are we talking about here for the native populations in Canada? Yeah, so I mean, you can imagine Edmonton, where I live, is actually the most populated city as far north as it is in all of North America. And Mm -hmm. we're just at the border. So where we're going is like 
as you can imagine, places that you can't just drive there. You know, a lot of these places are so remote that that's why it required missionary pilots to be able to go into these villages. So uh, you can imagine if you've seen the ice road truckers shows mm. or the movies or any of that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the destination. That's where they're going. These places are literally in the wintertime cut off from kind of the rest of the world because once winter hits, everything's frozen over and the roads are completely shut down. Um, so you can imagine they're very isolated. They have very scarce resources. So for them, you know, it's kind of a daily thing that they're dealing with food insecurity. When you think about October for them, it means that they have to hunt and gather and get enough supplies and provisions so that they can make it through the whole entire winter without having much in the way of supplies. And for them also, um, they have a lot of people that are kind of crowded into their homes and a lot of those homes are in need of repair. So uh, it's a different circumstance. They don't have a lot of property ownership themselves. So that also makes it hard for people to, you know, if they want to establish businesses and jobs. You know, a lot of those challenges that we just kind of take for granted as being a given for us, you know, going to the Walmart or being on the roads and going to work and being able to own our home. I mean, all those things that we typically think of, um, they, they have to deal with a lot more challenges. And that's created a lot of this generational trauma that you see in these remote uh, villages and uh, reserves. And then two, you have all those challenges that come with the health and wellness side. So if you do have difficulty with finding healthy food and health care and mental health, you see the results of that. So in a lot of these reserves, for example, the rates of teenage suicide is so much greater than in your typical uh, American city or diabetes or cirrhosis of the liver and fetal alcohol syndrome. I mean, those are higher than in a lot of people groups. But it, again, you just think about the harsh conditions that they have to live under and just how isolated they are. You can understand why. Hmm. So in your time there, you're fairly new yeah. to this position. What has it been? Two months? Yes. A month? Yeah. A couple months Two now. Months? Yeah. What have you been learning? Obviously, you've been learning a ton about the, the people you're serving. Um, wh what have you been learning? Have you had a chance to to meet any people? I know that you've, mm -hmm. you've only been there a couple of months. Uh, are you up in the sky yet flying in, <laughs> in any of the planes yet? Just a little. And I mean, COVID obviously with the restrictions has, has mm -hmm. kind of made everything like for you guys to, you know, most of it's meeting people remotely still, um, but trying to get to know folks and, and really sitting down with our missionaries that serve on a regular basis, um, you know, they do a wonderful job staying connected. Same thing with our volunteer teams, having conversations with them about what do we want to do for bringing Christmas packages again into the reserves and what did we do over the summertime with our backpack project to bring hope and, you know, care to people still, even though we can't be in community. And we're making plans, uh, God willing, that there'll be some winter trips, especially looking forward to some spring and summer trips again. But man, I just can't say enough about the strength and resiliency of the people that we serve. Um, even in the midst of these challenges, to see the joy that they have, the family bonds that they have, uh, that they continue to want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They're so excited to have mission teams. I mean, just, I've seen the pictures too, Andy, the, the 
anticipation I have of looking at the joy in the eyes of these children. I mean, the very first thing that they ask you when you show up there uh, is, when are you coming back? They're so excited to have people come and bring them the good news of Jesus. And they just hug on you and love on you. And, you know, the people are so welcoming and keep inviting us back. I mean, that's what makes this such a wonderful ministry is just how receptive people are and how they're just, you know, starving to hear this good news of Jesus. You mentioned uh, COVID restrictions impacting your ability to travel and visit the indigenous people that you're serving. How has COVID impacted these people groups? Yeah, so as you can imagine, um, when you're in a small community, uh, something like COVID, uh, the way that it hits, it hits very hard. And then on top of that, uh, again, I already mentioned a lot of the challenges that they face when you have even more isolation, that's only going to make things worse. And then so too, again, it's, it's October. So now is when they're hunting and they're fishing. And they've had, uh, many of our communities have already had some boating accidents. They've seen some deaths. And then to put COVID on top of that and to have it just kind of just go through a whole community and the number of deaths increase, it really has been a challenge and it's brought a lot of grief. And then again, to have that kind of isolation where they were so happy to have us come every summer and, and bring our mission teams and then to not be able to be with them. It has definitely, you know, it's been difficult and we're just really excited about uh, being able to be with folks again. So you've mentioned uh, the backpack projects and uh, being able to visit these people. How, how else does LAMP serve these people uh, and, and share the good news? What other things are you, are you able to do as an organization? Yeah, so they have some neat ministries. They've also uh, had ministries to the adults. So they've had men's and women's uh, Bible studies and uh, put on men's retreats. And so too with the older kids too, um, we're able to do sports camps with them. And so a lot of soccer <laughs> and <laughs> Jesus, which is always fun. Um, and even during COVID, I mean, we were able to bring supplies, you know, kind of those essential needs that people had. Um, we were able to fly up supplies as well and just stay connected. You know, a lot of it, again, was meeting people at the airport and having them deliver things uh, because, again, for safety's sake, we don't want to uh, uh, cause any uh, further, uh, you know, issues with COVID, but at least able to bring some supplies and quilts and, you know, so many wonderful ladies uh, have given us quilts and coats and gloves and hats and, you know, those things that are hard to come by, we're able to bring them as well. So yeah, we just try to, again, body and soul, uh, care for our communities and, uh, working with some great, great groups of volunteers who help us to continue to minister, even, even if it is through zoom or something, but just staying connected, um, you know, being with the people and the way that we can be with them. And again, just always focusing on that good news. We're talking with the Reverend Dr. Stephen Shape. He's executive director of LAMP. We'll learn more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, 
to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Today we're talking with Reverend Dr. Stephen Shave. He's executive executive director of LAMP. Uh, we're learning about uh, this outreach to uh, indigenous people, particularly in Canada. And uh, Steve, earlier uh, you were sharing with us how you've been learning about the people that you get to serve alongside with and the people you serve with LAMP and fairly new to this position. Prior to uh, your serving as executive director for LAMP, uh, there was news this summer about uh, residential schools and the indigenous people uh, of Canada. Tell us about the, those stories and um, what you've been learning about that. Yeah, sure. And this really did have a huge impact on me just in consideration of this position. Throughout the summer months, I was hearing these stories about residential schools. And again, this month in November is a month that we remember the Native American heritage. And, you know, we also connect November, obviously, with those pilgrims that were with the Native Americans at that first feast. And there's a lot of tragic history from that point on. And one of the things, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I had never even heard of residential schools and especially here in Canada. And what I discovered was the stories coming out was that they were finding mass graves at these residential schools and they had a lot of children in them. So I wondered what happened with these residential schools that I was unaware of. And basically children were taken from their families and then they were sent to these boarding schools to live, to be kind of enculturated, to be educated. Um, but far too many times the conditions were terrible. Um, and again, that resulted in mass deaths, and there was also quite a bit of abuse. And so all through the summer, that was just, you know, as you can imagine, all those old wounds, it just sent these shock waves into these communities again of what had happened uh, to these uh, families here uh, and how their children were taken. And you can just imagine, you know, the kind of generational trauma that that has caused, you know, um, it was very challenging. Uh, for the folks to remember uh, who had been taken from their families and sent to the residential schools that lost loved ones, you know, brothers and sisters that had disappeared. And then you hear this news. Um, it really was tragic. It was heartbreaking. And, you know, just recently, uh, Canada had its first inaugural day of truth and reconciliation. And that really focused on taking a good hard look at the truth of what happened and then trying to find ways forward for reconciliation. And again, as I thought about this position and the work that Lamp did, who better to bring the truth of God's good news, hope, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation, you know, that really comes from God. You know, when it is that kind of forgiveness of those kinds of wounds that are so deep, um, I can't think of a better organization than the church to bring God's truth to bring his forgiveness and that healing balm of the gospel um, to help us to reconcile to one another. So yeah, this this summer, um, hearing those stories about what happened at the residential schools, 
But then to know that there are organizations like LAMP that for 50 years have kept the doors open to these communities. You only are able to go into these reserves if you have been invited. And that invitation has been extended to us year after year because we have these relationships with these local communities that have always been built on a mutual love and trust with one another. And so we are just in a very um, unique position that we can work through local churches to continue to bring about that healing. How have you seen uh, the impact of of all of those stories that that were brought to light this summer? Uh, you mentioned the generational impact of trauma. How have you seen that? Um, even though you've only been there for for a couple of months, yeah. how have you seen that in the in the communities that you've been able to uh, to get to know? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take long. I mean, as you can imagine, Sarah, if you were raised in an institution, um, you're not able to have that typical family bond. You aren't learning those parental dynamics. And then also we know when it comes to abuse and mental health that abuse, poverty, you know, substance abuse, those are cyclical things. You know, they're passed down from generation to generation. And the church understands that there is typically a cycle. And until that cycle is broken, you're going to continue to pass down this trauma from generation to generation. But, you know, that's where the church comes in is that we are able to enter into the lives of these people and you know they've been broken and we can help to make them whole again they have these deep wounds and we have those things that can bring them healing and so yeah when it comes to that uh, trauma um, it has a long long lasting impact not just for one generation but for generations to come you've shared with us the history of lamp and the people you serve, who are the people you partner with in order to carry out the work of LAMP today? Yeah, so we're very blessed. We, we work with the LCMS. We're an actual recognized service organization. We work also with the Lutheran Church of Canada. And so we are uh, also a service organization for them as well. And so that gives us opportunities to work with local congregations. Um, we have congregations in the U.S. as far down as Texas that serve on our mission teams. And we have congregations here in Canada as, you know, Vancouver and, uh, you know, places that are also, uh, you know, here in Canada, congregations that serve with us alongside as well. So it's, it's kind of a North American, uh, U.S., <laughs> Canada, you know, partnership with so many churches. And uh, again, the LWML has been a huge supporter for us along the way, other foundations participate, and then to work with our church bodies, again, to be a part of this truth and reconciliation that's been happening through the work of these mission teams and our missionaries. Um, so we're very blessed uh, to have those partnerships, to work with local, what they call the band councils, the community leaders, uh, and the local um, folks who ask us and invite us uh, to be able to bring mission teams, to bring the VBS to their children, to bring the women's studies, uh, to help them and educate them on health and wellness and cooking and, and to build crafts together with the elderly or whatever it might be. Um, you know, we're just very blessed that we have a whole army of volunteers uh, who, who participate and want to be a part of this healing process. And, and, you know, the thing about the communities is that it's just like the rest of the world. There's just such a scarce supply of hope these days. 
and especially in these communities. And what a blessing that our partners in the LCMS and in the Lutheran Church Canada, we have such an abundance of God's mercy and hope that we can go and share it with others. So yeah, we're just so blessed to have such, I mean, even through COVID, our supporters stood by us all the way and our congregations who bring mission teams, they've just been chomping at the bit, waiting, anticipating for, hey, we cannot wait to be with those folks again. And again, the bond uh, that these mission teams have, you know, there's an actual expectation, Andy, when you partner with us. And again, it's just because these children so need that stability and they need that long-term relationship. We ask people to partner with us for maybe three to five years. So not just one year, because when you get involved in that little child's you know, life, we want them to know that you're going to be there. Um, and that's what they want. And again, that's why they ask, you know, when are you coming back? Um, so we have strong, strong, long lasting relationships and partnerships, not only with the local communities, but with our mission teams, volunteers and our mission staff as well. So talk more about the mission teams uh, and who makes up these mission teams um, and and how how people can be a part of one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll put a plug in if you go to Lamp Ministry, <laughs> lampministry.org, um, there's a whole page on how you can get involved. And, you know, if you can't go to a remote village or a reserve, uh, you know, you can certainly support those who can. Um, our missionaries are are out there serving and you can give them your support financially or through prayer. Um, but yeah, if your congregation wants to have the mission adventure of your life, and again, I cannot express how many times people have said, I've gotten so much more out of serving than the ones that I've served. It's just such a joy uh, to be around people who so desperately want to hear this good news. These children who want to have this love and support from people, um, you know, you you can have a mission team. Uh, it, there's a orientation process that we take people through because we want you to be the mes- best missionary that you can be. Um, so we give you all the tips that you need on how best to serve in a multicultural environment. And we take you through the training on kind of the do's and don'ts about working in these communities. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a commitment then for a few years. Uh, but yeah, we, we are right now serving in about 40 communities, but we do need missionary teams um, from congregations. And it can be anywhere in Canada or in the United States. So we are certainly uh, open and willing to working with new teams, and uh, we'd be excited to help you to be a part of that. Do you have to have a pilot's license to uh, to volunteer with them? (laughs) You know, and even that, I mean, it is just funny, like technology, you know, you and I are like 1,500 miles apart and we're having this conversation, but uh, even with flying and aviation, um, there are more options, right? So you don't even, don't panic that you're going to be stuck in this single engine little puddle jumper. Uh, there, there are plenty of ways to, to get teams up there now. But uh, yeah, mostly our missionaries are the pilots. And, uh, and that's because they kind of hop from community to community. Uh, but yeah, when you send a mission team, um, you know, expect your nice, typical airline and, and we'll get you the rest of the way. But uh, you don't have to be a pilot and you don't necessarily have to go on some tiny little plane either, Andy. 
but that's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> we do have somewhere in the summer you can still drive in. It's all good. <laughs> but we'll be happy to take you up in the uh, Piper Lance whenever you want. <laughs> yes. You mentioned summer roads being open, mm -hmm. and, and I, you referenced this earlier as well with uh, winter upon us, how that uh, impacts uh, the, the people you serve. Um, what are the needs in the coming months for those, for the indigenous people served by LAMP? Yeah. I mean, again, just from a spiritual sense, as you can imagine, if you're cut off, if you're isolated and you're living in just bitter, brutal, cold, long, long bouts of darkness, um, what would you need the most? You need hope, you know? And as I think about us getting prepared for bringing Christmas packages, it's not just the gifts, Andy. The thing that they remember the most, it's just incredible. The, the children, you know, uh, I heard a story about in a, in a camp for sports. I think it was a Frisbee. All the volunteers signed their names on this Frisbee. Came back 10 years later, and guess what this little, little one, now teenager, brought up with him to show them. He held on to that Frisbee <laughs> because... People cared about him and loved him. And, you know, those little things, I mean, I cannot tell you how much we take for granted that they, they cling to those things. They are so excited that somebody cared enough to come to the remote village where I live to tell me about the love of Jesus. And so they need the quilts, they need the hats, they need the gloves. You know, they need the daily provisions because it is scarce supply. But man, what they need the most is to know that there are people out there who love them. People out there who care about them. People who are out there that want to have a long lasting relationship with them because they matter. And people who can be there to continually tell them that they've been created in the image of God. And that God will never forsake them. And no matter how dark things get, there is this light that outshines it all. And no matter how much you might feel alone, there's always going to be a Christ for you. He'll always be with you. And so, yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of harsh winter needs physically. But when I think about what we have to offer as the church, it's that hope. It's that joy. It's that love. And that's continuing message of the gospel um, that will get them through the dark times. Steve, can you point us to the website again? What's the, the website to learn more about LAMP? Absolutely. We're here at lampministry.org, lampministry.org. And you can find out about our mission. You can find out about how you can support us and pray for us. And you can take a look at the map, Andy, and you can pick mm -hmm. out, here's the community I think God is called to serve. <laughs> so you can find out too how you can also be a volunteer missionary team. And we would, we would absolutely love to have you. And again, for me, it, it's more about being able to see how it impacts your life when you volunteer with us. Um, because I am just blown away by how many people that we have that have been involved with LAMP for literally decades um, because they have just absolutely fallen in love with this mystery, ministry. And so, again, if you, if you go to lampministry.org, um, we would love to have you as a part of our, our volunteer group 
Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Shave, Executive Director for LAMP. Thanks so much for being our guest today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And it's great to hear from you guys again, even all the way up here. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.